Good morning. Great to see you this morning. And weren't the children absolutely wonderful? Well done, children. That, that was brilliant. It really was. I want to talk this morning about people who missed Christmas. On Christmas Eve, when I was about seven years old, we were all getting excited about Christmas. But my oldest sister was unwell. As the day wore on, she got worse and worse. She had a very nasty pain in the right side of her tummy. By the evening, she'd got so bad that the doctor was called. And he uh, diagnosed an acute appendicitis and called an ambulance. As my sister was being driven away in the ambulance, all the rest of us, and it was a big family, seven children in all, um, were very distressed. And we were all thinking the same thing. She is going to miss Christmas. In fact, today, many people around us will miss Christmas. Christmas has become a big thing, and it always probably has been. It has become the, the light in our dark winter. People look forward to it for months. Someone said to me actually just this morning, I've been waiting 110 days for Christmas. Now I'm quite worked out. I think that's got something to do with school terms, but we will have to work that out later. The shops start stocking Christmas gifts as early as September. Wherever you go in the shops today, carols are playing. How could anyone miss Christmas? But they do. With all the trappings around it, the simplicity of the birth of Jesus Christ is drowned in a sea of paraphernalia. All you have to do is look around, you know it's true. People are busy doing all kinds of things, but missing Christ. And Christmas is all about Christ. In Bible times, people missed Christmas too. And I want this morning to suspend a few minutes. I promised a short sermon this morning because of the children being in with us. People miss Christmas too. And I want to look at that with you briefly this morning. First of all, the innkeeper missed Christmas. One writer says of the innkeeper, well, he was so busy. I mean, the inn was full. Why? Because it was the census in Bethlehem. The town was literally bulging with everybody who had ever had any ancestry there. He was busy caring for his guests. He wasn't hostile, he wasn't unloving, he wasn't unsympathetic, and he wasn't really indifferent. He was just busy. We've got to be careful about that one. We're all, if we're honest, in life these days too busy. And as we run up to Christmas, it's so easy to be too busy. One mental health organisation I read recently said that if we're too busy, 
we can actually be harming ourselves because of it. And they listed a, a series of things that can happen to us if we're too busy. They said we can become anxious, stressed, overwhelmed, inadequate, sad, frustrated, angry, lonely, and feel guilty. None of us want to be like that. But being too busy can also impact our spiritual health as well. We can be too busy to pray, too busy to read our Bibles, too busy to attend church. Someone said to me recently, I suppose that during lockdown, we all filled Sundays with other things. And now we find our Sundays are too full to find time to go to church. That reminded me of that old hymn we used to sing years ago. If I occasionally bring out old hymns, it's because I'm old, okay? It's all right to do that. And it said, Room for pleasure, room for business. But for Christ the crucified, not a place that he can enter in the heart for which he died. The innkeeper's busyness certainly cost him spiritually. He did not see the miracle that was happening that very night on his premises. One of my uh, son-in-laws was talking to me recently about fly fishing. He'd been fly fishing. And he said this, and I quote, The first time I put on Polaroid sunglasses, it transformed my fishing. Before, all I could see was the sunlight reflecting off the water. But when I put Polaroids on, I could see beyond that. I could see the fish. It was amazing. People see Christmas like he saw the water without Polaroids. They only see the glitter, the surface things. They're dazzled by the tinsel, the presents, the parties, the feasting. They cannot see beyond that. But when through the gospel of Jesus Christ, their eyes are opened to the wonderful truth of Christmas, they have the same reaction. They find it truly amazing. The innkeeper, I think, probably gets a bad press. More than he deserves, anyway. He did not turn Mary and Joseph away, but allocated them the only room that was spare, the manger. And sadly, even Christians do that sometimes. They give Jesus the time they can spare. They give him the room in their lives they can spare. And so often, it's a lowly place. If the innkeeper had known, if only he had known, that the Lord of heaven, the creator of all things, was being born under his roof that very night, 
he would have given Mary and Joseph the best room in the house. He missed Christmas, or at least the meaning of Christmas. Then Herod missed Christmas too. Uh, Matthew 2 verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. The news of a different king, other than him, disturbed Herod. He didn't like the sound of the phrase, the king of the Jews, not applying to him. It posed a threat to his control, to his rule. After all, he was the king. We also see that this fear spread to others. Not only was he troubled, but all Jerusalem with him. I can ask them all, I can hear them all asking in Jerusalem, what would this mean for us? What will this do to our way of life? How will this affect our economy? What about our mortgage rates? And so on and so on. And things haven't changed much in 2,000 years. It's human nature to get comfortable with things the way they are. Most people don't like change. If things are going well, we like them to stay just how they are. We don't want to lose control of circumstances. We like to be in charge. There was a great evangelist, an Elam, an Elam minister, um, who died a few years ago now, um, called William Lee. And he was known as Gypsy Lee because of his gypsy background. And he had a great ministry. He moved in the power of the healing miracles of God. He told me once how he was speaking to a, a man who was crippled up with arthritis. He met him on a journey and he was talking to him about uh, Jesus. He was telling him of all the great miracles that Jesus had done through his own ministry. And he said the man was fixed upon his every word. Then William said to him, we could pray right now for your arthritis that Jesus would heal you. He said, the man stepped back, said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, if I was healed, I'd lose all my benefits. He said, I don't want any more of what you're talking to me about. Many people are terrified about letting Jesus have control of their lives, to come into their lives, to be Lord of their lives, because they think they're going to be much better at running their lives than God could ever be. Now, can I say this? If you think this morning that you are better at running your life than God could be, you need someone to take you aside and just remind you of all the mess-ups you make. Because we all do, don't we? Herod rejected Christ because of the threat to his own independent lifestyle. And thirdly, people, the people missed Christmas too 
because of indifference. Matthew 2, 4-6. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, and you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. The religious leaders and the people had been looking for the coming of the Messiah for years. But they didn't respond to the news of his birth. Bethlehem wasn't far from Jerusalem, but they didn't respond to the news. One commentary says this. They had been looking forward to this event since the time of Abraham, since the very beginning of their national existence. Why wasn't there a lottery to draw names for the lucky ones who would go and travel with the wise men and see the new king, the Christ, the Messiah? They all knew the right answers. They knew exactly where the scripture said he was to be born, but they had no desire to see him. They were strangely indifferent to this king. In Matthew 11, verse 20 onwards, Jesus condemns the towns where he had performed his ministry and his miracles because of their indifference. Let me read some of it to you. Verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will be you brought down to Hades. For if the miracles that had been performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Jesus hates indifference. To the church at Laodicea, he warned them not to be lukewarm. He said, you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. He went on to say that he was sickened by their indifference. To the church at Ephesus, Jesus complained, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's how he wants us. To love him, not indifferent. It's not just secular society that show indifference to Jesus. Sometimes we do too, when we put other things before him. I read recently, just this week actually, 
that uh, someone had asked, done a survey and asked people what were the five most important things about Christmas to them. Here, here's what the uh, most top answers were. Firstly, getting presents. Secondly, having a nice Christmas tree. Thirdly, having a good Christmas party. Fourthly, having a smashing Christmas dinner. And finally, fifthly, family get-togethers. Not room, much room for Jesus in all that, is there? 2 Timothy 3.1 in the message reads like this. Don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting. We see that everywhere today. We must all guard against indifference. Christmas is about Christ. However, there's some good news in this story we read. The wise men made a different choice. They journeyed, sought out and worshipped at the feet of Jesus. Matthew 2, 9-12. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. One writer says, they found their king. They worshipped him as the king. Why were they overjoyed when they knelt before Jesus? Why weren't they indifferent like the Jewish leaders? Why didn't they feel threatened like Herod? It's really very simple. They found what they were looking for. Perhaps we should ask ourselves this Christmas, what are we looking for? Someone has suggested most people are looking for something that gives a genuine, deep down meaning to their existence, a satisfaction with life, a purpose and significance for doing what they do, and a guiding principle that helps them make sense out of it all. Jesus can give all that. Let me uh, begin to draw this to a close now. Um, I mentioned recently in a sermon that uh, I took a friend to the Easter Monday uh, gatherings of all the young churches in the country we used to have in the Royal Albert Hall and how we had to travel up on his scooter at 40 miles an hour. Well, I want to tell you, I took another friend once as well. Now, this friend um, lived in a tiny little village in Norfolk and had never hardly been outside the village, certainly never outside of Norfolk. And uh, they travelled with us as a church to um, London, and when they saw the Royal Hall, they weren't over-impressed by the outside, because uh, in those days, it was still blackened, it hadn't been cleaned like it is today. And uh, we entered in. Now, as we stepped into the auditorium, there were 5,000 people singing God's praises. There was a choir of 1,000, all dressed in white, lifting their voices to God. 
And in that lovely, wonderful place, this friend of mine who had never hardly been outside their village almost fell back in amazement and literally gasped. They'd never seen anything like it before. These wise men had an experience like that. It says they were overjoyed. Finding the Christ of Christmas has the same effect on us. Like my friend, we're utterly amazed. The old hymn says, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have a light in my soul, which so long I had sought since Jesus came into my heart. Don't be like the innkeeper this Christmas, too busy to make room for Jesus. Don't be like Herod, wanting your independent lifestyle, not letting Jesus be Lord. And don't be indifferent like the people, but love him with all of your heart. When I was a teenager, we used to, in our church, go around residential homes at Christmas, uh, about 30 of us singing carols to the residents. And uh, we always ended with this carol. I don't worry, I'm not going to sing it to you. Um, you wouldn't want that, trust me. But um, I want to read the first verse, and then I want to encourage you, maybe after me, as I say it, to make the second verse a prayer in your heart this Christmas. The first verse says this, No room for the baby at Bethlehem's inn, only a cattle shed. No room on this earth for the dear Son of God, nowhere to lay his head. Only a cross did they give to our Lord, only a borrowed tomb. Today he is seeking a place in your heart. Will you still say to him, no room? Now why not say this with me in your heart, quietly in your heart. Oh Lord, in my heart there's a welcome for thee. Gladly, I now would say, come in, blessed Saviour, my heart and my life. Henceforth, I would own thy sway. Long have you waited, and long knocked in vain, outside my heart's closed door. Oh, cleanse me from sin, then, dear Lord, enter in and dwell there forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray this Christmas that we will indeed make you the centre of our love and our lives, of our hearts and of all that we do. Be the centre of it all. In Jesus' name, Father, we pray. Amen. Amen.